0: Okay the uh, story is told of an old miser who was on his deathbed, and he called his, his doctor, his lawyer and his minister to his <clears throat> excuse me, to his bedside, and he said, "Gentlemen, I'm going to disprove the myth, myth that you can't take it with you." He said, "Under my mattress are three envelopes, each containing 30,000 dollars. I want you to take each of you take one envelope and then throw it in the grave just before they start shoveling in the dirt. So, so at the funeral, you know, each of them threw the envelope into the gravesite As they left, there was the pastor who felt guilty first. And he said, you know, I gotta tell you guys something. He goes, we had a, a, a need at our church, and it was an emergency, and I took $10,000 out, but I threw 20 in. And uh, so, as they walked a little further, the doctor said, you know what, I'm glad you cleared your conscience because we had a building fund that was going on for the children's uh, wing of our hospital. And I thought, what a waste of money. He goes, so I took 20000 out. He goes, and I threw in ten. The attorney looked at both of them and said, I'm shocked, and I'm ashamed of both of you. How could you withhold that kind of money? He said, to make sure that it got there okay, I took out all the cash and put in a personal check for (laughs) $30,000. You know, and the point of the story is that, you know, some of us have convinced ourselves uh, that we are a lot more generous in giving than we really are. You know, with that in mind and uh, what I've personally experienced over the past two years as it relates to the care and a concern that's been demonstrated toward us through my illness, uh, we're gonna begin a new series of messages that quite frankly, if the subject were an elective, you know, you go away on these uh, weekend conferences and you sign up for different things and if it were an elective, I don't think there'd be much of a line. And the reason for it is simple. Everything that we'll examine in the weeks ahead is in direct conflict uh, with our natural desires you know, this series, as seen if you've got your uh, uh, bulletin or your notes in front of you, you'll see that it, it's gonna basically, uh, s- uh, it, it comes from one simple verse that's found in, the, in the Mark's gospel or his account of the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And in this particular verse, um, it, it's a haunting verse, it's convicting in many ways, and it's also encouraging from the standpoint that, you know, the truth of this verse um, can change our lives. It can change us as individuals, it can change us collectively as a church, and it can make a huge impact in the lives of those who we come in contact with. The problem is, is that it's seldom demonstrated in daily living, even among Christians, where you would think that you would see or at least hope to see it plainly and significantly demonstrated on a daily basis. If you've got your Bibles in front of you, turn to Mark chapter 10 and look at verse 45. I encourage you to uh, memorize it as it'll be the foundation or the keystone of our study together. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in, and Mark chapter 10, Jesus has a very simple statement that he makes. And yet at the same time, there's a, there's a lot to it. He says this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, th- stop and think about that. For even the son of man, he's saying, you know, even... Even God himself, the son of man, the son of God, the son of David, the savior of the world. He's saying even the savior of the world, Jesus, did not come to be served by the world, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, th- just let that soak in. Even God, even the son of God, the son of man, the son of David, the savior of the world. Even I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give. In his case, his life, a ransom for many. To serve and to give. You know, when I think about that, you know, I address that in my dedica- in the dedication sermon uh, that my prayer was for our church, that each of us individually and then collectively as a church would be servants and would be givers, that we would serve and we would give. And the question, I guess, is why are these traits so rare or so seldom seen? And, you know, as I thought about it and prayed about it, um, there's one thing that kept coming back and, you know, and, and I don't know any other way to say it, but I think it's because we don't see much of it because we're, we're really selfish people. You know, at the, at the end of the day, and it kind of hurts, and, and no one likes to hear that, you know, it, that we're selfish and, and uh, that, you know, we don't like to serve, and we don't like to give. You know, we like to receive, and, and, and we like to take, and we like to be recognized, and we like to be waited on, and, uh, we, we know, it's kind of like we're in a tough position. And the reason it's simple, and, and it's because, as you learned from our last series, in the reality of our mortality, the, the, the bottom line is that each one of us come into this world with a sin nature, a nature that's in rebellion against God. And so, where Jesus said, even the Son of Man came to serve and to give we have a nature that says, you serve me and we'll take. And that sin nature of ours likes to be catered to, likes to be waited upon, likes to be acknowledged, likes to be recognized. Uh, We also like to receive. You know, let's face it, we all like when we get stuff. And uh, not many of us, you know, are, are givers, And if sin nature isn't bad enough, then everywhere that we turn, we're taught that all uh, all of what I just shared is sound thinking. Because after all, if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't meet your needs, who's going to? You certainly don't wanna sit around and wait for selfish people to try to meet the needs that you have. And so, you know, it sounds reasonable that we would just, you know, make our own efforts to meet our own needs because we really can't trust anybody else to do it because we're selfish. And our sin nature is what keeps us from being what God wants us to be. And so it sounds reasonable. And so to serve and to give, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't sound like much fun to serve and to give. No, to be served and to get. Now, that sounds like more fun. You know, to be recognized, to be waited on, to be served, uh, to receive, oh, that all sounds like, you know, that, that sounds like a lot more fun than to serve others and to give. And, um, you know, what's interesting is I was going through it, you know, I was thinking, well, there's gotta be a loophole because anytime that you find anything in the Bible that really kinda rubs you the wrong way, you gotta look hard for a loophole. You know, because there's got to be one. And so, you know, I'm reading this going, but, but this is Jesus. You know, he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Well, we certainly can't give our life as a ransom. We can't, you know, we, 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 we can't die for somebody else's sin. Jesus can. And so it's kind of like there's the loophole. This just refers to Jesus. It doesn't refer to us. And then I ran into a passage, turn with me to Romans chapter eight, that makes, it kind of closes the loophole, I guess, is the problem. Look at Romans chapter eight, verse 28 and 29. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, And uh, are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he has justified, he has glorified. So I'm reading through this. And you can't miss... The fact that in verse 29, whom God foreknew, he predestined, listen carefully, to become conformed to the image of his son. God's will for his people, and you're, his, you're one of his people if you have turned from sin and you have trusted that Jesus died on the cross for your sins that he rose again from the dead and you have received him as your savior from sin and from judgment. The Bible says we have become a child of God to those who believe in his name. God's will for those of us who have trusted in Christ is that he conforms us to the image of his son. God's will is that you and I become more and more like Jesus. And if that's the case, and Jesus came to serve and to give, then it's God's will for you and for me to become servants and givers, that we would serve and that we would give. That is a major objective of God for the life of every believer that you would be a servant and that you would be a giver so the self test is as we go through life and as we're confronted with various things the self test is and you know somebody came up with you know the bracelet or the idea and that is what would Jesus do in this particular circumstance what would Jesus do? In this particular situation, what would Jesus say in this particular, you know, whatever it is that you're going through? What would Jesus do? If it's God's will to conform us into the image of his son, then we have to become more open to ask ourselves that question. How many of you, by show of hands, have ever thought, you know what, it would be a lot easier to be like Jesus if I had lived when he lived, if I had hung out with him. You know what I'm saying? You know, if I if if I slept with him and walked with them and talked with them and ate with them and you know, and did all the things the disciples did, you know, it'd be it'd be a lot easier to be like Jesus if I had spent the same amount of time like the disciples did. And you go, you know what? Well, that gives me a better feel for what it is that Jesus is all about. Have you ever thought that? As if somehow or another, what he, re- what he reveals to us in his word is not enough. Somehow, you know, we've got to be there personally. we got to, you know, to, to go through it. And yet, at the same time, I want you to turn with me in, your, in the Bible to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 gives us some insight and answers that question, wouldn't it have been easier to understand these things if we had been there with Jesus and lived it out firsthand? And in Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, we read this. And as Jesus was about to go to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death. He will deliver him and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge, crucify him, and on the third day he will be raised up. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. Now, before we're too hard on Mrs. Zebedee, (laughs) put yourself in her position. She has been waiting for the right opportunity to ask this question. She has thought this thing through She has recognized that, you know, Jesus was gonna establish his kingdom. He just got finished explaining that, okay, we're going into Jerusalem. We're gonna, you know, I'm gonna be crucified. I'm gonna die, but I'm gonna raise again from the dead. And her thought was, like everybody else, and you know what, and God's kingdom will be established. And man, you know what? It's time to ask the question. And the question is, will one of my sons sit at your right? And can my other son sit at your left? And they all spent time with Jesus. They they walked with him and they slept with him and talked with him and ate with him and spent time with him. And, you know, this was their number one argument among the disciples. Who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God? They continued to argue about this one fact. Who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God? And so, you know, she was just going, hey, you know what? This is a logical question. She wanted her sons to be recognized. She felt that, you know, they were more than qualified to sit on one side or the other. She represents, when I read through this, I started to laugh because I I, I reflected back on the days when our children were younger and were involved in sports. And uh, one of the things that, Maybe you can relate, maybe you can't. But, you know, there there are parents out there, (laughs) not necessarily in this group, but there are parents out there who look for the opportunity to take the coach aside and to reason with him or her about just how valuable and how gifted and how blessed their child is because it's a genetic thing. (laughs) And they take it personal if somehow or another they don't feel the love through their children. And so you know they'll take them aside and explain the merits and the benefits of, you know, their child's giftedness. And if that doesn't work, they'll make a nice like financial gift to the program. And, uh, you know, they'll try every way that they can. And it's kind of like, that, that was, this was an earlier version of that. It's like, you know, Mrs. Z wanted people to think highly of her sons. You know, she wanted them to be recognized for the fact that, you know, they left a prosperous uh, business, their fishing business. And that, you know, they were among the 12. And so, she just wanted them to be recognized for that. Now... When the others caught wind of what was going on, look at verse 24. And hearing this, the other 10 plus the two, which was the 12, became, now here's an interesting word, became indignant with the two brothers. The word indignant is a powerful word and it represent a, represents a growing willingness to get into a physical confrontation if necessary. (laughs) They were like, you know what? They were indignant. They were so upset about this that these guys were ready, they would go to blows over who would be at the right and who would be at the left. And this is ongoing. And this is, I think there's two or at at least two that I'm aware of, I think three that I remember, occasions where Jesus had to confront them as they confronted one another. There was a time where they were walking and they were arguing behind him, and he turned around and said, oh, what are you guys talking about? And they wouldn't tell him because they were arguing over who was the greatest in the kingdom of God. And so, you know, they, they had their difficulties in this particular area of serving and giving. And uh, so we look at this, and in verse 22 and 23, notice he says, but Jesus answered, and the word but indicates a strong contrast to what she was asking, and said, you don't know what you're asking for. I mean, you, you know, and I'm sure that this was a- a- offensive to her, certainly was probably embarrassing to her at the least. He said, you know you, don't even know, you don't know what you're asking. You know, think about it. Are you really able to drink the cup then I'm about to drink, and they said, we are able. And he said, but my cup, you shall drink, which was a cup of suffering, which is a cup of, of, of disdain. And he said, you shall drink, but to sit on my right and to sit on my left, this is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. So he's saying that, you know, you're going to suffer with me, but this isn't for you know, for me to give, it's been prepared by my father. And so he was trying to teach them, explain to them, and she, you know, but she recognized and understood that, you know, we live in a world of authority, you know, she saw the authority in Rome. She saw the, the division of it. She saw soldiers with medals. She saw emperors with crowned, um, you know, with crown jewels and governors with slaves. I mean, she saw the way the system works. We see the way the system works. And so we kind of struggle with the same thing and, and ask, you know, it's like, okay, isn't this the way that God works? You know, because it's the way it is in our, in our jobs. It's the way that it is in government. It's the way that it is in in the military. I mean, everywhere we turn, that's the system. And so, therefore, it must be the same way with God. And yet, at the same time, it's not so. Notice what Jesus said. But, verse 25, but Jesus called them to himself, and he said, well, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and that their great men exercise authority over them. Saying, you know, that's the way that it works. If you get in a power position, then you're gonna tell people what to do. And the danger is, as God's people, when God elevates us into a power position. When I say power position, I'm talking about a position where we're in a position to make decisions. That we can say yes, we can say no, uh, we can you know hire and fire um, you know those types of, of, of things that we can do when we 're in the power position. he's saying y- you know that's the way that it works, and that 's why people like to get in the power position because they like to tell other people what to do as opposed to being told what to do. Most people that start their own businesses do so because they don't like being told what to do. And uh, the irony of it was years ago when my partner and I started our construction business, you know, it was because you know we wanted to to be in a position to make the decisions, you know, to be able to decide what we wanted to do, when we wanted to do it, how we wanted to do it, you know, to represent the Lord the way we wanted to. And in a lot of ways, you know, those things are true. But we also learned that, you know what? (laughs) Everybody told us what to do. (laughs) Seriously, it was like, you know, you want to be in a position where you can tell other people what to do, and you find out that you're in a position where everybody tells you what to do. And you kind of go, wow, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. But at the same time, you realize that, you know, we're all accountable. And it's important that we recognize that fact. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach in this passage where, notice what he says. But, you know, that may be the case in the world we live in, but it's not so among you. So there's something different already that we have to deal with that others in the world don't understand. He says, but it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be First among you shall be your slave. And then he says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So he's saying, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, then you've got to be a servant to all. If you want to be first, then you have to willing to be last. If you want to be elevated, then we've got to be humble. He says, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. So, you know, if you want to be in that power position, he's saying you have to demonstrate that you're worthy of such a responsibility by being a servant to all. See, in the body of Christ, we have the body of Christ. But we only have one head. And he's Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you'll turn with me to Colossians 1, you'll notice what the Bible says about Jesus. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1. starting with verse 15. And he, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him, And for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Jesus is everything, he's first in everything. He is our creator. HE IS OUR SUSTAINER, HE IS THE HEAD OF THE BODY, AND WE ARE ALL MEMBERS OF THAT BODY WHO HAVE BEEN GIVEN DIFFERENT GIFTS TO SERVE HIM AND THE BODY OF CHRIST. THE REALITY OF IT IS IS THAT HE IS THE HEAD AND NOBODY ELSE IS, THAT NO HUMAN BEING CAN EVER TAKE HIS SPOT. WE ALL SUBMIT TO HIM. One of the, uh, if, you, if you'll turn to the third letter that John wrote before the book of Revelation, there was a man who was identified in this particular book in verses nine and 10, third John. His name is Diotrephes. And Diotrephes was a perfect example of what we're not to be. He is uh, what I would call the unservant. And in 3 John 10, uh, I'm sorry, verses 9 and 10, he, uh, he writes, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be notices, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I'll call attention to his deeds, which he does unjustly, accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this neither does he himself receive the brethren, and he forbids those who desire to do so, and he puts them out of the church. He's saying that here's this guy that John wrote to, and he doesn't listen to anything that anybody else says because he loves to be first. And there's a warning in that for you and I. If we're to be servants and we're to be givers, we can't love to be first. Because if we love to be first, it's going to negatively influence us to where we're not going to humble ourselves to serve and to give to others. You can't love to be first. Not only that, we don't deserve to be first because Jesus is first in everything. And so we submit humbly to him. And so when you look at this, here was a guy who was unteachable and he was unjust He was unhospitable and everything boiled down from the fact that he loved to be first. He wanted to be recognized. He wanted to be a celebrity and not a servant. And we've gotta be careful today too in our lives that we don't wanna be celebrities instead of being servants. Because there's only one God and we're not him. And so we submit to him. And we humbly looked to him. Now, I realize there's always somebody in a crowd who's sitting there going, you know what? But we gotta have leadership. Because if we don't have leadership and we don't have authority, then things don't get done. There's no vision. There's no direction. There's chaos. And you know what? And I would agree with you. There has to be leadership. And God gifts the church with leaders as he does gift us with other gifts He also gifts the church with those who are gifted to lead. But I want to take a moment and just emphasize to anybody and everybody who's in any kind of leadership position, and that is this, that we have to have a servant's heart. We have to have a humble spirit. We can be in a leadership position and lead and serve humbly and with an attitude that I'm here to serve and to give. Not to run you over, not to tell you what to do, not to dictate or somehow or another, um, you know, enforce my will upon you, but it's to, to serve and to give. To lead by biblical example to look at what the Bible has to say about leadership and and employ that as a leader. And I don't care if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a director of worship, if you're leading our children's ministries, whatever it is, in any area where we have any type of authority or any type of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of say as to direction, It always has to be with a servant's heart. We can't run people over in the process. You know, I think about one of the greatest examples is, um, you know, the Apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus, before he became the Apostle Paul, was a man who was in a leadership position, and he ran people over. Anybody that loved Jesus... He would run him over. The Bible says that he was in hearty approval of the stoning and the murder of Stephen. It's like, if you don't see it my way, I'll help you see it my way. If you don't see it our way, we'll help you see it our way. And the way that we'll help you see it our way is we're going to run you over. And that's what he did. And you look at that and go, What? <clears throat> what happened to this guy who used to run people over and was in hearty approval of the murder of Stephen? To where, as the Apostle Paul, we get a whole different picture of him as he writes his letters uh, to the Romans, for example, and, the Philippi- and, to, and, and, and to the Philippians, also to Titus. He identifies himself as a bond servant of Jesus Christ as a servant and not only a servant a bond servant was the lowest form of servant it was kind of like a servant apprentice i mean you were as low as you can get on the totem pole when it came to servants i'm a servant i'm a bond servant i'm as low as they come and he identified himself that way and you go well, what happened to this guy's heart that here was a guy that used to run people over, but now he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. What happened to him was he had a new nature. What happened to him was he saw the resurrected Savior and he came to faith in him. What happened to him was he got knocked off his donkey and he got knocked onto the ground. And as he was looking up in the air, And looking at Jesus, he realized that, you know what? This is probably the safest position to be in, you know? And we need to be in that position. Some of us think a little bit more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, and it's affecting sound judgment. Not only in our our relationship with God, but in our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our children, our relationship with others that God has put into our life. And so I'm gonna challenge each of us as we go through this series to realize that you know what? We need to be servants and not celebrities. We need to be givers and not takers. We need to be gentle and humble and not people that run people over to get what we think we want when we want it. And see, and Paul recognized that. And so if you'll take your notes, there's three things I wanna share with you that are characteristics of serving with love. You know, we were, Linda and I were talking the other day and I was thinking about, well, what am I gonna entitle this, you know, this series? And she said, uh, she came up with it, so I wanna give her credit for it. But, you know, to, to, to serve with love, you know, and I like that, you know, to serve with love not to serve because we have to, not because we're under compulsion to, but to serve because, you know what, love motivates us. And that's 1 Corinthians 13. But in the meantime, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, if you'll turn with me there, and we'll take a look at uh, a couple of things. Uh, the first two are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and then we'll take a look at the third one that's found in 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 Let's start uh, with verse 1, and we'll just go through verse 3 at this particular time. <clears throat> and when I came to you, brethren, I didn't come with superiority of speech or with um, of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling." The first thing that we need to be true of our lives, in order to serve with love, it requires what I wanna call transparent humanity. And that is that we're real, we're authentic, we don't have an image to, to somehow pr- uh, protect, which I like to put it this way, what you see is what you get. And you know what, and I love that in people. You may not agree with me, but I I would hope that you would always at least walk away saying, you know what? I don't agree with him, but I know what he said. I don't agree with him, but he's consistent. I don't agree with him, but you know what? Uh, He's real, authentic. What you see is what you get. And I like that about what Paul has to say. He say, man, here's a guy used to run people over. Now he's saying, you know, I didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I determined, I made up my mind that I, I want to know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. It's not about me, it's about him. And I want to know more about him and what he accomplished. On, at the cross, what he accomplished at his resurrection. And notice this where he says in verse three, I was with you in weakness. I was with you in weakness. It's like, hey, you know, here it is. Not perfect. Becoming a servant begins with appreciating and accepting our own humanity. You know, we're not perfect. But thank God that those of us who have turned from sin are forgiven. And we don't accept that. We're not satisfied with that. But we want to become more like Jesus. He was there in weakness and in fear and in trembling. Make sure that the message is accurate and i think about that a lot it's like you know the the fear of not taking advantage of the opportunities that god is giving me through my illness the fear of being interviewed and wanting to make sure that people see jesus instead of me the the trembling of you know people's eyes Not being on the Lord, but being on me instead. You know, wow! What an inspiration! You know, and and you know, thank you for your you know your model of courage or whatever. And and I and I fear that because I want people to see Jesus, and I want to see people see Him and His strength and His power. Perfected in my weakness. I I want people to know Jesus. And my fear and my trembling is that somehow or another I'll get the glory or the credit that he he deserves. I can relate to Paul. I'm with you in weakness, in trembling, and in fear because this isn't about me. IT'S ABOUT JESUS AND HIM CRUCIFIED. DO YOU KNOW HIM? ARE YOU ENCOURAGED BY HIM? ARE YOU STRENGTHENED BY HIM? ARE YOUR EYES ON HIM? BECAUSE IT'S ALL ABOUT HIM AND NOT ABOUT US. THE SECOND THING IS IS THAT, YOU KNOW, WE LOOK AT THIS GENUINE, WHAT I'LL CALL GENUINE HUMILITY Notice verses four through six. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. See, he's saying that my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Here's a guy that recognized that, you know what? It's not about being a clever speaker or being articulate or persuasive in his words. He's saying, but my message was to be the power of God you know, that's why I said, but notice, in contrast, a demonstration of God's power. That when you look at me and I'm able to come and preach God's word after being in a hospital for a week or after this surgery or that surgery or whatever it is, that you see a demonstration of the power of God and that your faith rests upon him and not on me. See, our faith has to rest upon God and his power, his power to raise the dead, his power to forgive forgive sin, his power that's demonstrated over and over again and that our faith rests upon him. And not on any of us. See, Paul didn't want people to put their faith and trust in him because he couldn't save anybody, and neither can I. But if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, and it rests on the power of God, then you'll be okay. And that's what he was talking about. Notice, uh, t- turn back to John uh, chapter 13. <clears throat> One of the things that Jesus tried to get across to, to his disciples and to us on a regular basis is that we would be humble before God. And so it's, we're told that when the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It says, and during supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God, was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself about. And he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter And he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered and said, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. And so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. If I, then the Lord, the teacher, washed your feet, you shall also wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Do you notice the uh, parallel to where he said that even I, the Lord, the teacher, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to, uh, to, to serve and to give, even I, the Lord, the teacher came and I gave this to you as an example that you would humble yourself before men that I will exalt you at the proper time. And so he's saying to you and I that, you know what, in order for us to serve with love, we have to have genuine humility to know our place in the universe, that there is a God and we're not him. I like what uh, James Irwin <clears throat> who was a former astronaut and he was part of the crew that made for the first successful moonwalk. This is what he had to say. He spoke of the thrill thrill connected with leaving this planet and seeing it shrink in size. He mentioned watching Earth rise one day and thinking how privileged he was to be a member of that unique crew. Then he began to realize on route back home that many would consider him a superstar for sure an international celebrity. Humbled by the awesome goodness of God, Colonel Irwin shared his true feelings, which went something like this. As I was returning to Earth, I realized that I was a servant and not a celebrity. So I am here as God's servant on planet Earth to share what I have experienced that others might know the glory of God. Isn't that great? so that others might know the glory of God, that God has called us from darkness to light so that we can proclaim his excellency before those who don't know him. And lastly, to serve with love requires that we be absolutely honest with those whom we share. Second Corinthians chapter four, look at verses one and two and we'll close with this. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things that are hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You know, what really needs to be said? that we renounce those things that are in darkness. That God's people would make a decision, a conscious decision, to renounce those things that are in darkness. To say, you know what? What you see is what you get. Transparent humanity, genuine humility, and absolute honesty. That as God's people, that we are known for being truthful in the way we conduct ourselves, and the things that we say to others. There are gonna be times where people ask us questions and frankly, we don't know the answers. And you know what, there's nothing wrong with saying so. I don't know. I don't know all the reasons why God has allowed me to be sick, but I know that he's using it for his glory and for his kingdom's purposes. AND SO I ACCEPT THAT. I DON'T UNDERSTAND IT, BUT I ACCEPT IT. I READ THE WORD OF GOD AND I LOOK AND GO, OKAY, LORD, YOU KNOW WHAT, YOU'RE STILL GOD AND I'M STILL NOT. AND uh, AS LONG AS IT STAYS THAT WAY, THEN I'LL JUST ACCEPT WHATEVER IT IS THAT YOU WANT TO DO IN MY LIFE. BUT I PRAY THAT WHEN PEOPLE SEE ME, THAT THEY SEE TRANSPARENT HUMANITY, that they see genuine humility and that they hear nothing but absolute honesty where to be servants and where to be givers ask yourself the question are you real and transparent with the people around you do you walk humbly with your god and are you honest in everything that you do and say if so then god is pleased with you let's pray Father, thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for your word. We just thank you for your love for us. God, help us to be servants and not celebrities, to realize that our place here on this earth during this window of opportunity is to proclaim the excellencies of you who have called us from darkness to light, to proclaim to the world around us that we have a good and loving God, to share the mysteries of the knowledge of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God, may we become servants and may we become givers and may we learn from your word how to do so. In Christ's name, amen.